Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. pitch. Breaking ball. Scott in the air to deep left. Way back it goes. This one is going, going, and it's long gone. Carter Keeboom with a titanic two-run homer makes it 3-0 Nationals here in the sixth. Runners lead second and third. Here's the set. The 2-2 delivery. Fastball struck him out swinging. Adon strikes out Bell, his third strikeout of the game, and that will strand two runners. He pulled the string on Bell, pulled the string on me, change up at 89, fooled him a bit. Bell slammed his bat down. Now the pitch. Cole swings and hits one hard up the middle on the ground, through into center field for a base hit. Rounding third is Vargas, he'll come in to score. Stopping at second is Riley Adams. Third hit in a row in the inning for the Nationals, and the Nationals are back in front by three. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, August 26, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The 2023 Nationals now are within nine games of 500. 60 and 69 now is the record. And the Nats now are fourth as opposed to fifth in the National League East. A 7-4 win at the Miami Marlins on Friday evening in game one of a three-game series. And that's now our 22-11 and 11 over their last 33 games. And that's now our 3-1 and one on their nine-game road trip. Yoan Adone on Friday evening for a second time in four starts. Teased, tossing a no-hitter. Carter Keeboom homered again. You know, Mark, you take a step back. Here we are in deep August. The Nats are surging the likes of Yoan Adone and Carter Keboom are leading the way to victory. Like, what world are we living in right now? All right, I'm going to give you three tried and true facts as we record this. And you tell me which of these three things was most likely to happen in your mind here on August 25th of 2023. Number one, Yoan Adone would carry two no-hitters into the sixth inning in a span of four starts. Number two, Carter Keeboom would homer in two of his first three games back in the big leagues. Or number three, the Washington Nationals would be ahead of the New York Mets in the NLE standings on August 25th, 
2023. Which of those did you would you have said was most likely to happen? I think we have a three-way tie, my friend. I don't know that uh, <laughs> anyone would have ever said that any of those three things would have been likely well into the month of August. I mean, you in April and May can have fluky, quirky things, and you say, oh, wow, isn't that surprising? Or, oh, wow, who saw that coming? But no, we have had a season. Like, the season is aging here. We've got a, you know, a month and change left in the regular season, and yet these things that Mark just listed are, in fact, the case. It is bonkers. It is awesome. It is exciting. You know, these last six days have been wacko for the Nats. I mean, there have been so many things going on with this team. It is easy to lose sight on things and perspective on things. But yeah, this team continues to win. And this team, again, 22 wins in 33 games. You think about that. That's essentially a fifth of a season. You're 22 and 11 over a fifth of the season. That is remarkable. Well, Yoan Adon, uh, wow. I mean, what is this here? So he's made four starts in this uh, latest go-round at the major league level. Two of the starts, he's tossing a no-hitter. The other two starts have been forgettable starts. He had one start in which he allowed two runs in three innings, got pulled due to leg cramping. And then his most recent start prior to this past Friday night was the previous Friday night, August 18th, an 8-7 win over the Philadelphia Phillies at Astros Park. Adon in that game, six runs in four innings. So you can't say that like he's been lights out, but in two of the four starts, yeah, he has been quite good. And he on this Friday evening in this 7-4 win at the Marlins did tease tossing a no-hitter, if you can believe that. So he ultimately gave the Nats six shutout innings. He gave up just two hits, uh, both of which were singles. He issued a hit by pitch. He had three strikeouts versus no walks. Adone tossed four and a third perfect innings before issuing a one-out hit-by-pitch of Brian De La Cruz in the bottom of the fifth. And here's where it gets a little complicated. So Adone, in real time watching the game, tossed five and two-thirds hitless innings before giving up a two-out single by Luis Arise to right center field in the bottom of the sixth. However, what had been a fielding error by shortstop C.J. Abrams in the bottom of the sixth with one out was changed to a single. So I guess you say officially the first hit that Adon allowed was a one-out single by Jazz Chisholm Jr. up the middle in the bottom of the sixth. For record-keeping, what do we say? Adon tossed five and a third hitless innings or five and two-thirds hitless innings? I'm going to say he carried a no-hitter into the sixth inning. That's about the best I can come up with. Look, if you watched that live and then you saw the replays of it, it was clearly a hit. I think the ball skipped off both the rubber and then second base. So to call that an error initially on Abrams, I thought was pretty egregious. So thankfully, in this case, he gave up a clean hit after that because the last situation you ever want to see happen is an official scorer to retroactively change a call that affects a no-hitter. So thankfully, that was not the case here. And, you know, we can laugh about it afterwards. But my God, if that had been all that was preventing him or or if that, you know, if the call stood somehow and he was going to get credited with a no-hitter when he didn't really deserve one, that would have caused all kinds of controversy. But listen, this guy, there's a consistency issue, obviously, but he has the stuff. And when he locates it well, and when I say locate, I mean on the edges around the corners. And you saw at one point, Masson showed the plot of where all his strikes were. None of them were down the middle. They were all around the four corners. The stuff is so good that he can be really effective with it. And you saw that on this night that he has the potential. We even saw it in glimpses last year, just not putting it together to this extent. And who knows what this means in the future for Yoan Adone. 
but there's at least enough here to make you say, I want to see more of this and see if he can actually harness this on a regular basis. Age 24 season, we, of course, had seen him for, you know, portions of previous seasons. Remember, though, he is only pitching for the Nats at the major league level right now because Trevor Williams went on the bereavement list. It was Adone who got the call with Williams on the bereavement list for that game. Now, a few Saturdays back, August 5th, a 7-3 win at the Cincinnati Reds and Adone in that game, three runs, six innings, seven strikeouts versus no walks. Began that outing by tossing five and two-thirds perfect innings. But the whole reason that we have this quote-unquote six-man rotation is Adone and what he did in that game at the Reds. I mean, had he gotten bombed in that game at the Reds, I'm guessing we probably would not have this six-man rotation right now. So there is talent. There is the consistency issue. And there's a whole lot of variance here. I mean, there's no question about that. We've seen that over these last four starts. So, you know, one thing with the Nats, and, and I think at this point, this has become pretty clear, right? When you talk about like the prospects and, you know, who is a coming when it comes to the major league level, Position players, the Nats are loaded right now. Pitching prospects, not so much. Now, there are some guys to be thinking about, you know, Jackson Rutledge, perhaps principal among them, Cade Cavalli, obviously, in the comeback from Tommy John. But there is opportunity for a Yoan Adone, a Jake Irvin to make hay here. And we have seen Irvin do that this season. And I wonder, I hope that we do see Adone do that. And it would be nice to be able to say at the end of this season, you know what? Adone, like Irvin, made his case as this season went on. What you would love to have happen would be next spring. For them to come to camp and say, we have six or seven guys who are worthy of a spot in the rotation and somebody's going to get squeezed out. Not, oh, we've got a wide open competition for the fifth starter's job and somebody wins it by default, but there are actual quality pitchers here in the mix for it. And whoever doesn't get the job is going to go to AAA and be waiting in the wings to get the call because you know it's going to happen at some point. I want to highlight what I thought was the biggest pitch of the night. For Yoan Adon. It's after the no-hitter was over. It's the sixth inning. The Marlins are kind of starting to put something together, and the game is not at all there for the taking. It is very much still up for grabs. Josh Bell comes up to the plate, and Adon throws him with two strikes, a changeup, perfectly placed, tailing down and away from him. I can't tell you how many times last year when Adon was struggling in the big leagues that Davey Martinez said he's got to start throwing his changeup. He's got to trust that pitch. That's the only way he's going to have success up here. We keep telling him you got to throw it, and he just doesn't seem to have enough confidence in it. Boy, did he pick a great time to throw the best one maybe he's thrown in the big leagues against a big-time hitter in a big spot. And if that's a sign of who he can be, that's great. That shows some development and some maturity and the ability to trust that you can get guys out with something other than what you normally throw. The former Nat Josh Bell on Friday night, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Josh Bell, since being acquired by the Marlins, has been outstanding. A 948 OPS over 21 games with Miami, and that does include the 0 for on Friday night. So that strikeout of Josh Bell absolutely was significant. In terms of the Nats offense in this 7-4 win at the Marlins on Friday evening, seven runs, 13 hits to go with one walk. The Nats went 4 for 10 with runners in scoring position. A lot of guys in a lot of moments worth highlighting with the Nats offense in this game. But yeah, we mentioned him at the top. He did it again. Carter Keeboom. You know, you talk about making a case for yourself. 
is Kibum in the midst of doing that? We obviously need to see more. You know, it's only been a few games for him in his latest go-round at the major league level. But Carter Kibum on Friday evening as an at-starting third baseman and number five batter, one for three with a two-run homer, also drew a hit by pitch. Kibum in an at's two-run sixth, a two-out first pitch, two-run home run on a bomb to left field for a 3 nothing Nats lead, 409 feet for StatCast. This is quite cool, what Carter Keyboom is doing here. Seeing him hit, you know, I don't know if this is his last true chance with the Nats at the Major League level, but this may be his last true chance with the Nats at the Major League level. And so far, he is making the most of that chance. It feels like it's his last chance. Who knows what's going to happen this winter and, and what kind of moves they make or how close they think Brady House is, but it does feel like this is one final opportunity for a guy who, as we said earlier in the year, had fallen off the radar completely. Think about over the course of his career since he came up in uh, May of 2019, when they were desperate for help at shortstop when Trey Turner got hurt and Keeboom was still considered their best position player prospect. Think about all that time since then. How many big Carter Keeboom moments can you name off the top of your head where you said, wow, that was really something? There aren't very many of them, unfortunately. Homer did his major league debut, Homer again uh, a couple nights later. I want to say he had a walk-off hit late in the 2021 season, but it was like a little looping liner up the middle, was not hit hard, anything like that. There just have not been that many of these. So to see two of these moments now for him in just a couple of days since he came back, hitting the ball with authority that we have just not seen from him in the past, that's huge. And you heard him say it to Dan Colco right after the game. It means so much more to him because he's helping the team win. It would be one thing if he came back up, the team was struggling, and he was having a little bit of success personally. But you can tell at this stage, the mindset that he has right now is, I just want to get back in the big leagues, and I want to make a difference. And he is making a difference in a very limited sample so far. He's going to keep getting more opportunities. We'll see how it goes. But you can't help but feel good for him. He's been through a lot physically because of the injuries, but even, I think, emotionally, he's a guy who's been on a roller coaster and at times has not been great at handling the situation that he's been in, and he'd be the first to admit it. He seems to be in a different headspace right now, and good for him for now making the most of this opportunity, at least through the first few games that he's had a chance to play. So I know the thinking has been he'll face left-handed pitching, and you know he is coming off Tommy John surgery and also a right shoulder impingement, but given that we only do have a month and change left in this regular season. And given that this might be his last true shot with the Nats at the major league level, I feel like there should be a focus and intent to play him a good bit here. You know, now I don't want him to be playing if he's hurting or anything like that. So if the health is really a concern that you don't have to force this, but at the same time, I feel like there is a little bit of urgency here of we need to get Carter Keeboom plate appearances. We need to get him in games and we need to see what we have in him here. We need to give him this opportunity. I don't know how committed the Nats are to doing that down the stretch of this season, but especially if he is hitting, it matters that this team gets a sense of what it does have in Carter Keeboom and him playing, you know, two, three, four times a week. That's not going to do you the kind of good that him playing, you know, five, six, seven times a week could do. So, I hope that that's where we end up over the course of these next few weeks. We'll see. Yeah, I think when they head home on October 1st, whenever it is that the season ends, they need to know the answer to this question. The last thing you want to have happen is for them to say, well, maybe Carter Keepham's a part of it. Maybe he's not. We need to see more. We, you know, Well, maybe we'll give him another shot. Maybe we won't. 
they do need to have more of a definitive answer. And the only way you're going to do that is seeing him out there with more regularity. I do think, as you alluded to there, Davey is cognizant of the fact that he is still slowly working his way back from major arm issues. You see him replacing him for defense late in games. I think for that reason, not really knowing the strength of his arm to make throws. We haven't seen him have to make a whole lot of plays at third base so far. Just the ball hasn't been hit to him or there haven't been plays that have required a whole lot of effort or deep throws from behind the bag. I'll be curious to see how he looks when he has to do that. But I'm looking at this kind of like the situation was with Stone Garrett a little while ago, which was he was clearly pegged as a platoon guy just going to play versus lefties. But as he started to have some success, he said, all right, let's give him a few starts. Let's see how he does against righties. And if he has success with it, all right, let's move him really into the everyday lineup. I think that's how this could play out. It's up to Keyboom to make the most of the opportunities he gets. But if he does keep performing, I think you will see him become more of a regular provided health is fine, the arm is fine, I think you'll start to see that. But I don't think that the idea is right from the get-go to put him out there every single day. I think they want to sort of ease his way back in, find favorable matchups, and then if he has success, you start playing him more after that. Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Or are you stuck in the minors like Carter Keboom just was? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right, and uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastures and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders. With the first Biden administration winding down, give Mason Kalfas a call to position yourself for a move to private practice today. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenithlegal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! Uh, The Nats will be contenders very soon and you can be a contender even sooner. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Sounds like a smooth 643 double play. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip 
that extra trip to the grocery store and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what you do. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the code natschat50. You do that, you get 50% off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off. Factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that promo code natschat50 for 50% off off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played on Friday evening as the Harrisburg Senators lost 2-1 to in 11 innings to the Reading Fightin' Phils. In the leadoff spot, Dylan Cruz played right field. He went 1-for-5, struck out three times, and so far in four games, he's hitting 154 at the A level. Now back to Mark and Al. Oker to the belt, deals, swing a line drive left center field, headed toward the gap, this is down, it's a base hit, and it's going to go to the warning track and by Chisholm to the wall. Chavis scores, Thomas scores, Manessis rounding second, he'll hold and go back to second with a bases clearing two-run double. The Nationals tack on two here in the seventh and lead Miami five to nothing. Manessis has three RBIs in the game, 73 on the season, and that'll be the knockout punch on Okert here in the seventh. Nats on Friday evening got yet another big run scoring hit from Joey Manessis this season. Manessis on Friday evening as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, one for five. Uh, but the one was a two-run double. Also had an RBI ground out, so a uh, three-ribby night for Joey Manessis. He had an Nats three-run seventh at a two-out, two-run double to the left center field gap for a 5 nothing Nats lead. An eventful night on Friday evening for Alex Call. He is the Nats starting center fielder and number eight batter. Two for four with a double and an RBI single, but he also got picked off and he also got charged with a fielding error in yet another instance of two Nats outfielders either colliding or coming close to colliding. In this case, the two outfielders did collide. Call in the top of the fifth had a one-out double to left field, but he then got picked off at second base for the third out in an inning in which the Nats had runners on first and second with one out, but did not score a run. And what made Call getting picked off even worse was that it happened while the Nats' best hitter this season, Lane Thomas, was in the batter's box. But also for Call in this game, he and the Nats, one run eighth, had a one out RBI single up the middle for a 7-4 Nats lead. And also for Call in this game was that aforementioned error, bottom of the first, Cole got charged with a one-out fielding error on a fly ball by Jorge Soler. 3-1 pitch, swung on, hit high in the air. Center field, not deep. Shallow right center, Thomas and Cole both coming. And they have a miscommunication, and the ball is not caught. Now, this was actually scary. Scary for several reasons. So, Thomas was down after the play, and it looked like he hit his head. I mean, you wondered, did the guy suffer a concussion? Ended up staying in the game. But of course, another aspect to this is you just lost Stone Garrett if you lose Lane Thomas. Like, oh boy, you know, what are you looking at in terms of outfield depth at that point? Call on the play, if you watch the replay, initially went back on the ball, but then came charging in. So a lot to take in with Alex Cole's Friday evening. Let me sum it up this way and and pose this question to you, Al. If Victor Robles had the exact same game that Alex Cole had, 
what would the reaction have been to it? Uh, quite vocal. And what would the post-game comments from Davy Martinez have been? I'm guessing quite vocal. Yeah. And we've raised this before. Is is Victor Robles held to a different standard than others? It's possible. Now, you know, there's a longer track record of games like this where you, we, you know, we joke about the full Victor Robles experience, the good and the bad of it. There are fewer examples of it with Alex Call, but that felt like a Victor Robles kind of game for him and, and not in the best way. You know, the error, the mistake, okay, it's going to happen sometimes. You got a bad break. You didn't hear each other calling for the ball. Thomas was way closer to it than Call was, but he's a center fielder and he's going to try to take charge of it. That's, you know, unfortunate. Thankfully, Lane doesn't appear to be seriously hurt. The pickoff, though, that's inexcusable. In that situation, two outs, Thomas at the plate, there is zero reason to allow yourself to be picked off. And that's a problem. Now, you know, we talked about the lack of outfield depth. So it's not like this guy's in danger of being benched at the moment because they don't have anyone else who's healthy or big league ready. But those kind of plays are not going to win you a permanent spot on the roster. And knowing what's coming in the very near future, anybody who is an outfielder in the big leagues for the Nationals right now, who's not named Lane Thomas, you're fighting for your job right now. You're trying to prove that you deserve to stay here beyond this year. So Alex Call, Blake Rutherford, this is your opportunity. And games like this are not going to help your cause because you're already behind the eight ball when it comes to the big name prospects who are going to be here soon. It's an uphill battle for you to show that you deserve to stay here long term. You're going to have to play pristine baseball to make sure that you don't take yourself out of the equation. I don't get why these outfield miscommunications keep happening too. Especially, I mean, think about where the Nats were playing on Friday evening. The Marlins Lone Depot Park, in which, you know, the atmosphere isn't exactly, uh, you know, the Metrodome in the 87 playoffs, all right? Like, there ain't that many people there, and they're not that loud. Like, you can basically have private conversations with your teammates in uh, the middle of the game when you're playing games at the Marlins. And so you should be able to hear each other. You should be able to communicate. But for whatever reason, there was an issue there. And, you know, with Cole getting picked off at second base, man, this week has not been a good week for the Nats in terms of avoiding making outs at second bases. We had that game against the Yankees in which the Nats made one out after another in terms of trying to stretch singles into doubles. You had Cole getting picked off at second base on Friday evening. And you had a guy who has had a penchant for this get thrown out in an attempt to stretch a single into a double. I'm talking about Kate Barrett Ruiz. Now, Kate Barrett has had a really good month of August, okay? And he, on Friday evening, as an at starting DH, a number four batter, went two for five with an RBI single and an infield single. But he, on that RBI single, capped a three-run seventh with a two-out ribby single off the right field wall for a 6 nothing Nats lead on a 1-2 pitch. Great piece of hitting. Great moment. But he then got thrown out in an attempt to stretch that single into a double. Manessa is heading for the plate. Ruiz for second to throw there. He's going to be out. Fortunately, the run scored. I've talked about this. Capern has an issue with this. This has happened with him a lot, him getting thrown out on the base pads, trying to stretch singles into doubles. And it really stood out in this game again because of what we just saw a few games ago at the Yankees. Yeah, and this team cannot afford to do this. I mean, no team can afford to do it, but especially one that has to scrap for every single run that they score. And it's not like he's a speedster who should be trying to take extra bases on a regular basis. Look, hey, he also had, what, an infield single in the game, right? He was uh, chugging down the first baseline, so good for him for that. But yeah, pay attention <laughs> to the game. Be smart. It's not about speed. It's about base running smarts. 
And that really could have been disastrous because Joey Manessis barely crossed the plate before Ruiz was tagged out. Good on Joey for hustling all the way through home plate. If he eases up at all, I don't know that he scores. The tag is made before he crosses the plate. That run doesn't count. Oh, that would have been an important run as this game played out. Yeah, it is an issue, something that needs to be cleaned up. And it's just about more awareness of the situation, knowing what you are capable of doing, what you aren't capable of doing. And Kabert would be wise to remember what his strengths are on a baseball field and running the bases, sorry to say, is probably not going to be one of them. Know thyself, a uh, very important lesson for baseball and for life, no doubt. Uh, some good production from the Nats in terms of the bottom half of the lineup on Friday evening. Ildemaro Vargas as the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter. And Michael Chavis as the Nats starting second baseman and number nine batter. Each guy went two for four with a double and an infield single. And I did want to highlight this. C.J. Abrams on Friday evening as the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter only went one for five. But the one... I feel like it's worth focusing on. So Abrams in an Nats one-run first inning, another first inning in which the Nats score a run, he had a leadoff first pitch single to right field. He advanced to second base on a Lane Thomas ground out. Abrams stole third base, and then Abrams scored on a Joey Manessis one-out RBI ground out for a one nothing Nats lead. If you turned on the game to st- watch the beginning of the game, and then you blinked, you may have missed all of this happening. This happened like at like lightning speed. But the ultimate example of a leadoff man manufacturing a run, like basically scoring on his own in an inning, that's what you saw from Abrams right there. This was like Ricky Henderson-esque. Henderson used to do stuff like this. And, you know, I'm not saying Abrams is Henderson, but you know what? Since moving to the leadoff spot, he hasn't been that far from Ricky in terms of the production. And I just love seeing something like that because, you know, in the box score, you see, okay, one for five, single stolen base. He struck out twice. Okay, ho-hum. It's like, no, no. He actually by himself created a run in that first inning on Friday evening. And he is the kind of player who can do that kind of thing. And he understands that that is his forte. And if he has the opportunity to try to push the envelope and make the most of it. So good on him, yes, for smart base running there, aggressive, but smart. And anytime in the first inning, especially you can do that kind of thing. It sets a tone for the whole night. When you've got a one nothing lead before your pitcher even takes the mound, It just puts everybody at ease, and he's a dynamic leadoff hitter, you know? I mean, remember back at the beginning of the year, we talked about, boy, why is he hitting eighth, ninth? Like, when's Davey going to finally move him up there? He wanted to see him have a little success. He didn't want to put the extra pressure on him. Once it became clear that he was figuring things out, Davey moved him up there, and you can just see the difference that it makes, the energy that he plays with, the confidence he's playing with right now, to understand that as a leadoff hitter, you can be a difference maker. He has that ability in so many different ways. Home runs, yes, but also scoring a run like that with his legs and awareness on the field. It has been so impressive, the work that Abrams has done since becoming the Nats' uh, regular number one batter. All right, Nats bullpen in this 7-4 win at the Marlins on Friday evening. So three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in three innings, but two of the relievers combined for three scoreless innings. This was an odd situation here. So Mason Thompson was a disaster in the bottom of the seventh. There's really no other way to say it. This was rough. He was charged with four runs. He did not record a single out. He faced five batters. He got no outs. A game that was looking like essentially a Nads round actually became a little tight uh, because of what happened in this four-run seventh inning. 
Thompson in the inning gave up a triple, a double, a single, and two infield singles. He gave up a two-run triple by Jesus Sanchez down the right field line to cut the Nats' lead to 6-2, despite Sanchez having been down in the count at 1.02. Although, have to say this, the uh, home plate umpire, Brian Onora, called what should have been strike three, ball two. Uh, But still, Thompson gave up the triple. And then Thompson, on the very next pitch, gave up a first-pitch RBI ground rule double off the right center field warning track by Nick Fortes to cut the Nats' lead to 6-3. And then in the inning, Thompson was late to cover first base on an infield single by the Marlins' number nine batter, John Birdie, to the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch. And that was it. Davey Martinez pulled Mason Thompson from the game. But we then got some really good stuff from Robert Garcia and Hunter Harvey. Garcia officially tossed two perfect innings with two strikeouts, including getting three outs over five pitches in facing two batters to end that Marlins four-run seventh. Garcia did allow an inherited runner to score, but he did a really good job of cleaning up that mess (laughs) in that four-run seventh. And then Hunter Harvey, a uh, scoreless bottom of the ninth inning for the save. Man, it would be so good if we just got right back to the great Mason Thompson we saw earlier this season, but we really have not been at that point for a while here. He can look good. He has looked good, but uh, for every good outing, it feels like there is a bad outing, and the bad ones are really bad, and this one on Friday evening was really bad. And there's just no middle ground with him. It's all or nothing, it feels like. There's no, well, he got into a little bit of a jam, but he got out of it, or uh, he had to throw a lot of pitches, but he ultimately you know, made them when he needed to. And okay, the blown strike three call by Brian Honora was bad. I mean, how often do you see pitcher, catcher, and batter all like start to leave the field, assuming that it's strike three and no, it's called a ball. So that's bad. However, as you say, it's still the pitcher's job to forget about that, recompose yourself and go make a good quality pitch to get the guy out. Now he doesn't do that. He ends up giving up the triple and it's a very important moment in the game and changes a lot. You have to, after that point, not let that affect you. And from afar, from my view, it seemed like he absolutely let it affect him, never more so than in being late to cover first base on a ground ball to the right side. I know it was a ball that either first baseman or second baseman could have potentially fielded. You're a pitcher. As soon as you see a ball go that way, you are conditioned from day one of spring training. Get over there. Even if the first baseman makes it back, you back off. You got to get over there just in case. And he was late to it. And that hurt things as well. So a really rough appearance for him. And I thought it was going to be even more damaging than this because when they're up 6 nothing, I'm thinking to myself, okay, maybe finally, for the first time in a long time, they can win a game without using Harvey and Finnegan. There have been very few cases of this. They've won only a couple of games during this great stretch they've been on. Only a few of the wins have been more by more than three or four runs. And they were in a position to do that. And both those guys needed a day off. Now, ultimately, you saw Finnegan did get the day off. Didn't matter whether it was a safe situation or not. But boy, it would have been nice for Hunter Harvey to have the day off as well. He had just pitched the day before in New York. High leverage spot against the heart of the Yankee lineup. Now, good for him. He was pretty solid in the uh, ninth and, and securing the save. Not a whole lot of drama there. So that's good. But now he's probably knocked out for a day because of it. Robert Garcia was the unsung hero of it all with two scoreless innings against the team that gave up on him earlier this summer. That was a lifesaver because I'm sure Davey wanted to use as few relievers as he had to to get through this game. But boy, the Mason Thompson inning 
change that game a lot and change the usage in the bullpen on a night when you really hoped they wouldn't have to use those top guys. And, you know, he faces five batters. He doesn't get a single out. I mean, clearly Davey was trying to give Mason an opportunity to work his way out of the mess and continue on. You know, like Davey didn't have the quick hook, but what are you supposed to do? Just keep him out there and let it be batting practice for the Marlins? Like, no, you got to try to get outs and you got to try to get the win. It's worth noting the Nats don't have a scheduled off day until, believe it or not, Labor Day. The Nats do not play on Labor Day this year, which is kind of odd, but there is no off day scheduled anyway for next week. So when it comes to bullpen usage and, you know, Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan, like there isn't just some obvious off day that's coming up here shortly to where you know that those guys won't be pitching. So yeah, I mean, other relievers have to get outs. We've talked about this. It can't just be the Harvey and Finnegan show as much as those guys have been leaned on so far this season. One more thing. So you were among those who reported on the development with Mike Rizzo this past Monday afternoon. The Nats uh, nearing a contract extension with him. We also that day had the reports of the Nats having agreed on an extension with Davey Martinez. The Davey extension became official on Tuesday morning. The Rizzo extension still has not been announced. We talked about the possibility of him going to the Chicago White Sox a few episodes ago. That talk has cooled off. I know there's a sense that the White Sox might promote from within. Bob Nightingale of USA Today, he on Friday afternoon tweeted that uh, Mike Rizzo's extension with the Nats will soon become official. So I guess there's no reason to think that this isn't going to happen. Why do you think, though, that it hasn't yet been announced and presumably hasn't yet been finalized? What do you think the holdup is? My hunch would be that while everybody acknowledges that it is most likely going to happen, because why would either side not want it to happen, that Rizzo is in a position to have some leverage here and to maybe try to negotiate a little bit more. And remember the last time he did this, he even almost admitted to us after the fact that he didn't really help his own cause by essentially saying publicly beforehand that he wanted to stay, that uh, he wasn't seeking anything that outrageous in salary in terms of length. Uh, I think he wanted to be paid among the better GMs, but he didn't feel like he needed a really long-term contract. Well, maybe this time around, he's trying to play a little more hardball, and he has every right to do that. My sense would be that there's just been a little more negotiation involved this time with who knows what the future holds, but it's possible this is the last contract he ever signs for himself, given his age, 62, the state of things. I don't know how much longer he wants to keep doing this on a day-to-day basis. So maybe that's part of it. But I have no reason to think that it ultimately won't get done. I think there's too much incentive all around for it. And, you know, as we know that, well, it was nice to get Davies' deal done when it happened. That doesn't have to be done yet. They have till the end of the season before the contracts expire. And usually they have taken a while to do these things. So I think it will happen here at some point. You don't want that lingering for too long. But my hunch would just be that he's playing a little more hardball than he has in the past, and they're just trying to work out the exact arrangements of it. But I think deep down, everybody understands there's little reason to think that they won't get something done here at some point. I think another leverage point for Mike is this. The Nats have announced the Davy deal. The Davy deal is done. So if for some reason the learners did not re-sign Mike Rizzo and had to hire a new GM, you'd be hiring a new GM with the manager already in place and having just been extended. How many GMs want that to come into a job and have the manager force fed onto them, you know? So like that's something else that actually works in Rizzo's favor right now that that Davy deal got put out there. But yeah, 
Hopefully, we get that announcement soon, but we haven't gotten it yet. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you'd like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website, natschatpodcast.com, at which you can get a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. And we very much appreciate all of you who have uh, already ordered Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts. So Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Runners first and third. Runner from first, Stevenson goes, swinging a ground ball toward the middle, and an old skitter off the glove of Lindor, out in the center field, Bell scores, and a curly W's in the books. Carter Keeboom with a ground ball off Lindor's glove in the center field for a game-winning hit. And the Nationals have come from behind with two runs in the bottom of the ninth inning, and they have defeated the Mets here in the final meeting of the year between the two teams. Keeboom is mobbed out near second base. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.